You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Superhero Educator Podcast. I'm Eugene P. We got Steve right there, and we got a special guest coming up in a few seconds. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great. Excited for our guest, probably one of my favorites coming on tonight. Talk to us about education and what's happening. And we're going to talk locally here in Milwaukee, but it's going to affect everybody around the country. So this is just a good conversation. I'll transfer wherever you're at. You know, what's funny about we had Lakeisha on probably right, right after COVID hit, I think going back that far, right after COVID hit. And, and, you know, one thing, Lakeisha, and I'm sure you probably get this, but from people who don't know you, they're like, you guys really know her? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, like she's very accessible. I, I try to be very accessible. You are, Jane. like email, text. Yeah. But, but we, we got we to gotta do this introduction properly. We are so happy to have one of the smartest humans we know personally on our show today. Steve, I'm not talking about you. We have representative, state representative, Lakeisha Myers. And folks, let me tell you, when she talks, you have to take notes because she just lays it all out. And it's a beautiful thing to, to actually know someone who influences the things that we may fight for or fight against. Like it's, it's good to know a person like this and she's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And it's just a, a, a pleasure to have you on our show. Let's give it up. State Rep. Keisha Myers. Thank you, Eugene and Steve. Good to be back. Yeah, thank you. And we're talking state of Wisconsin. We have a reach uh, across the country, some international. So we're talking state of Wisconsin, state representative. And, and again, it, this, this applies across the country and wherever you're at. Great topic we're talking about today. Steve, given the topic for today. Sure, we're going we're gonna to talk about... We have the largest school district in the state, an extremely vital school district called Milwaukee Public Schools. And that this district is, is so important to the state of Wisconsin. And we're gonna really lay out, there's proposals all the time. So there's, there's always, depends on, on what team you're on and what, what side you, you choose, but there's always, Political, political teams say that political teams political. yeah okay. that's right that's right political teams and the, and the idea is and i'm going to make it pretty broad here but it's either hey we need to continue to find more resources do more things let's continue to advocate for all student success uh, in milwaukee public schools and let's continue to do some great things for students and then there's another approach of going We've, we've had very little success. There's lots of failure and we need to do radical change and really upset the, uh, uh, really just 
do almost a takeover, do major, major things because we're not seeing the success we want. So that's, that's a really broad stroke of, of what's happening in it. And that's happening in lots of uh, districts, but being the largest uh, school district in the state of Wisconsin, it's extremely important, important that Milwaukee public schools do well. So that, that's the landscape that we're in. And now we, it's becoming more, I guess, more prominent of the idea that there is a proposal out there of people talking about it, about we need to break up Milwaukee Public Schools. It's a large school district. Let's break it up into smaller, smaller entities and not have one large urban school district. Did I lay out the, the landscape, Lakeisha? Is that pretty much what's happening? Pretty much. Um, there is a proposal currently in the state legislature to break up Milwaukee public schools. It, the bill actually does four things. The first thing, and the bill is uh, Assembly Bill 966 in the Wisconsin legislature. It proposes to break, to dissolve Milwaukee public schools. That's the first thing. Um, it would dissolve the current charter that uh, holds the school district together. So it would dissolve Milwaukee public schools as a school district it would break the district up into four to eight, four to eight separate school districts. It would also, uh, the buildings and land that are owned by the school district, it would divide those lands and buildings. Uh, it would subdivide them and give them to um, the four to eight replacement districts that would exist. And the last thing is there is the creation of a redistricting committee um, that would be uh, made up of the governor plus two appointments that he would have, the state superintendent of public instruction, as well as the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, plus two appointments that he would have. Um, so this particular group would have to devise a reapportionment plan for the current buildings and zones of where those schools would be, what lands we have owned playgrounds and parklands as well um, in Milwaukee that are currently owned by the school district, which is a unique entity for Milwaukee public schools. A lot of other school districts, um, their uh, buildings are owned by the city or you know things like that. So this would um, make those lands available to them. So one of the things that I'm against that bill and that plan for a couple different reasons. Number one, because I think it's fiscally irresponsible. <laughs> First of all, um, we have 421 school districts in the state of Wisconsin currently. So to break up the largest school district and then replace it with four to eight districts in a city that has roughly 600,000 people um, would cause chaos and turmoil for the millage rate of taxpayers because you would have to then be subdivided yet again, even within the city limits as to which school district your house now is a part of. So that's getting into the weeds and gets into the tax base issue of it. I just think it's irresponsible to do that to people. I think on the academic front, it would take away a lot of the programs that MPS has currently. There are a lot of internal choices that parents have, excuse me, within the school district we have language immersion programs, you have IB programs, you have um, you know, NAF Academy programs and, and culinary arts programs and whatever 
other specialty programs, arts schools. We have the High School of the Arts, which is the main high school for students that study dance and creative writing and you know art, uh, uh, you know painting and things like that. So that's a big school where kids who are art centered and focused they feed into that particular school. So to take the High School of the Arts out of the equation, you would no longer have those citywide specialty school programs. All of those schools would be reapportioned into different school districts. To neighborhood schools. To, it may be neighborhood schools, but then if you have, remember, you. oh, I forgot to mention this, let me back up. The other thing the bill does, um, I guess this will be a fifth thing, would replace all of the school board members currently that exists because there will no longer be a Milwaukee public schools. You no longer have one operating board. You now have four to eight new seven member boards each that these school districts would have. And they now get to make these determinations of programming for schools. I don't know if anybody's ever gone through the IB process. It takes a long time right. to be, you know, determined in international baccalaureate school. It takes a long time to be, you know, some of these national you know, certified art schools and programs that we have with a lot of the schools that have different academy programs that are have different accreditation methods within the schools that already exist. Those would be gone because you now have to go back and do this through a new school district. So we could also have further resegregation in, in Milwaukee, which we're already the most segregated city, but then you lose the ability of choice for parents to have um, you know, the programs that they want in those schools. McDowell Montessori, they have the only K through 12 Montessori program in the country. It's in Milwaukee. You can start your child in kindergarten and they can go through 12th grade in a Montessori system. So what do you do with those teachers? What do you do with that school? You know, now that gets situated in a different school district. So now other parents won't have the ability to send their kids to a Montessori school or system that they want to because it may be out of reach for them if we do this four to eight school district thing that they're proposing. So it's a whole lot. Yes, Eugene, you have a question? <laughs> yeah, I'm raising my hand. Like, I'm, like you teaching right now, I'm raising my hand. Look, Lakeisha, I got so many questions no. and thoughts that I know Gurner does too, Steve does too. But, but Lakeisha, I, I wanna have you go back to something Okay. I heard you say last week, and then I have a question that I typed in last week, but I don't know why it wasn't pulled for me to ask. Okay. So can you go back, because you, you did this really well last week, for someone that's in politics or not in the politics, how, how close are we to this thing happening? This is like, is it like, is this real? Because that's what someone say, oh, this is not real. They've tried it before, it didn't work. Blah, 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 blah. Or some was like, emergency, stop everything. It's actually happening. I'll start there. So I know Steve got something after that, but I'll start there. Like, can you just say it in dummy terms of, is this a threat, not a threat? It's very real. I will go back and say, I know it was presented in the, um, the district uh, town hall meeting that, uh, that I took part in last week. Um, you know, people were looking at, oh, well, we've been down this road before with the state coming in trying to take over NPS or do something with NPS. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they've been down this road before. The groundwork was already laid in the mid-2000s when there were um, 
you know, mayoral takeover attempts. There was the Opportunity Schools program, uh, partnership program that is actually state law that is on the books that passed in 2015. This is different because we are in such a space that if you go to bed on when is the election in November, I'm going to just venture to say November 3rd, I'm making this up. Whenever the election day is in November, if you go to bed that night and you do not have, and, and when you wake up the next morning and you have a Republican governor in the state of Wisconsin, this is done. It's a done deal. Like That's done, done, or there's still some more things that have to happen. No, it's going to get reintroduced again. It's going to get passed. It's going to get rushed through committee and it's going to happen. I will guarantee you that. And I will bet $20 right now to tell you it will happen because we have a Republican majority in the state assembly. We have a Republican majority in the state Senate. If we, have- if we have the East Wing that becomes uh, a Republican stronghold, we will have all three, uh, you know, two of the three branches of government, really, you could say three out of three branches of the government, when that happens, having a conservative majority, it will happen. That's how close we are. But do you have Democrats that are are noted or on record supporting private schools who don't support public schools? Um, I would have to like, what do you mean? Explain. Like, do you, like, do you have a pocket of Democrats that mm-hmm. will go along with the Republican plan? No, to date, there has been no, uh, democratic member of either the assembly or the Senate that has supported this particular plan, because I think just for the reasons that I laid out, um, and I will, you know, say, you know, publicly, i got my public education K through 12 and MPS, worked for the district and am a critic of MPS. I think I just, you know, you have to be. I think there are issues and you understand that. I want to see achievement levels um, grow from where they are. I think there are internal things that can be done that the district has not done uh, or things that we've allowed to let lapse that have worked in the past, um, you know, over the years since I've been in school and that's, you know, 20 years now since I've been out of high school, that this would be, you know, some things that we need to see happening for students. But I think it is just fiscally irresponsible to break a district up that services 70,000 students. And, And let me say, this will be traditional schools that MPS has, as well as their instrumentality charter schools that they charter. So this is instrumentality and non-instrumentality charter schools that the school district has chartered. So all this law would actually impact those schools that have a little bit more autonomy than do just those uh, um, schools that are under the auspice directly of the school board. So it is something that would cause havoc as far as employees are concerned. When you think about at minimum, MPS probably has 10,000 employees. These people would no longer have their positions because there's no longer going to be an MPS. Teachers would now have to compete to see which school district they would want to work for. We broke it up into at minimum four school districts. Now you have to deal with, do you all pay the same way? So we know as as working professionals, I'm going to go where I can hopefully get the best, you know, for for my my family. So how do you now go in and, and create a pay scale, you know, and you may work at one school that's in one district and then two streets over, 
another elementary school is at a different district and you may get paid $5,000 different. So all of that makes a big difference. Um, you know, how do you zone students to different schools? All of these things play a difference when you talk about trying to break up a school district um, into, into different pieces. So do you believe it's, it's an outside, not, it, it's outside people deciding what's best for MPS? Is that how you, how you read this? Uh, I'm, I'm outside Absolutely. the city of Milwaukee and I'm going to tell them uh, what, they, what they need to do. So you're saying absolutely. 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 And that is the the um, you know, the state has tried to act as dictator to the city of Milwaukee in more ways than one, because we are the only city of the first class. Um, so that happens all the time, even when it comes to shared revenue issues, um, other taxation issues and policy. But then when you look at the city of Milwaukee, as far as the schools are concerned, yes, because the people who created this particular piece of legislation. One lives in Racine and the other one lives in River Hills. They don't even live in the city of Milwaukee, yet are very, very concerned about what's happening with the city of Milwaukee schools. And this is not the first time that, they, that some of them have actually gone down this pathway. And even in the committee process, when I asked one of the authors, I said, so are you telling me that you don't have any schools that have issues in Racine? So if this is good enough for Milwaukee, why not start with a smaller district like Racine? Mm. If this is good enough for Milwaukee, why not start with a failing school in Fond du Lac or in Minocqua in other places where you want to break up their school district? This would never happen with any other district in the state of Wisconsin because people don't, they appreciate and love local control. But mm. when it comes to the city of Milwaukee, it's like, oh, they're terrible. We need to go in and do something and try to force them to do this. Even when you look at the way the bill is written, you have people who are non-educators for the most part outside of the state superintendent getting ready to redistrict and, and get ready to, to try to break up this particular school district. So you have the mayor. We have not had a mayor that has an education background in the, state, in, in the city of Milwaukee since its inception. None of them have been teachers at all. When you look at the, um, the governor, Tony Evers is probably the only governor that has had you know, any type of education background you know, in the history of the state, which is odd because that is just, it's usually not a marriage that you see for people in politics. They, have, they come from outside education. So when you look at that, the, and then the, the people that don't get appointments in the process, Jill Underley gets no appointments in the process, mm. but yet the mayor gets two people to add to this particular um, you know, process, would get two people to add to the process, and the governor would get two people to add to the process. So they may or may not say, hey, there's a superintendent that's sitting here now. Let us appoint this person to the process to, number one, lose his job, <laughs> and then you know, break up the district into four different pieces. Do you think, and you mentioned it before, I, I, I think there's, uh, I think it's healthy to be critical of, of every school district and schools and, and, and not in a sense of finding a fault, but just realizing how, how can we be the best for students? Always putting it on a, how can we help? If you really love the students, we have to keep pushing ourselves and all of us collectively to help, to help all students have success. So I think it's important 
do, do you think, I, I always criticize uh, situations, MPS on this or any school district, like knowing this is coming, I would always try to be on the offense now. Like, you know what? That's one good idea, but you guess what we're doing already? We're already doing A, B, C, and D, just so you know, um, just, to ha- just to help the cause to go. We're not going to sit here and just let things happen. We're going to have find student success. And here's our top 10 innovations for 2022. Do you see that happening? Have I seen that happening? No, because I think realistically, most educators do not delve deep enough into politics. And I think Eugene and I have had this conversation and you and I, Steve, have had this conversation separately on different subjects. Whereas I try to train teachers and educators and let them know if you are in education, you are a de facto politician in today's day and age. You have to be. Um, You have to understand the process. You have to read the tea leaves. You have to understand uh, all the things that go with educational policy. If you are going to be Um, a person that is an advocate for teachers, mainly people who deal with teachers unions, you need to understand realistically, not just your version of events and what you want to see. You have to understand what's really happening in a state legislature or in the federal government to understand what's coming down the pike. And I don't think we've done a good job of that. I think now in Milwaukee, we have um, a couple school board members who are innovative enough to do that. Um, I know the meeting that we were at before that Eugene mentioned, uh, Director Aisha Carr has started to do that. Finally, you know, she had, there is some emergence of original thought and trying to be on the offense and trying to actually help the district be proactive rather than reactive in trying to protest their way out of events. You have to start from somewhere, excuse me, and try to move forward and get things done. I think that's where we are now. She created, she uh, proposed um, a fe- the, the request for a feasibility study for a four day um, school work week. And not just, you know, you have off, it, w- it would be a four day week where students would have the opportunity to have um, interventions, uh, time for them to do work experience, um, as well as internships and community service, uh, you know, all of those things could be wrapped into that. And it's a model that actually works. They've done it in California and a couple other places. Um, you know, even having teachers have built-in professional development time during that four-day work cycle, which is something that actually happens uh, in Madison Metropolitan School District. All the kids get out early on Monday and from, you know, for at least an hour and a half every week, you have the opportunity to have professional development is built into the calendar. So Keisha, here's what I think. I'm just going to give you my honest opinion. I think people are saying, you know what? They tried before, it didn't work, so it's not going to happen now. So I think that's out there. Two, I think people, and you kind of alluded to this, and so this is not like a statement for or against anybody's teachers union, but I think there's a notion that we can out-union this. And like, so like the union and the politics sometimes aren't congruent, if Mm -hmm. that's the right word. Um, And then I think there's a lot of people that just aren't like, and you have said this to me before, there's a lot of people that just aren't into politics. It's not even Mm -hmm. on the radar. You know, I'm worried about classroom management. I'm worried about lesson planning. I'm learning about, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do this, this, and this. So I I, I do think there are some natural, natural things Mm -hmm. in place, but let me go back to, 
And so, like, Milwaukee is small. Southeastern Wisconsin is small, so we kind of know all the same players. But how is this different than OPSS and the process that they put demand means to face up? Hmm. You might need to explain that a little bit more for the listeners. So go ahead, G. Because at that time I was at a school that was in that space. And um, it's, if you guys don't make these improvements by such and such date and time, like the school administration um, is, is taken out. And I think, so don't quote me on this Lakeisha, because I know you know it better than me. I think 60% of the teachers would have been able to stay at the school because now, now the process they're taking over the school. That's that's where this conversation is going on. So if you fell into that range, the administration gets plucked out, whether you like him or not. I think the number was 60% of the teachers get to stay, but they all had to interview, if I'm correct. And they... the the government chooses the curriculum was that am i off there so let me go back remember when i said that you can read the tea leaves if you pay attention to federal policy okay this was a direct direct the opportunity schools partnership program that passed in 2015 was a direct function of what was happening at the federal level Going back to No Child Left Behind. (laughs) So let me go all the way back there. When President George W. Bush signed the No Child Left Behind Act, that started something called AMO, your annual measurable objective. And in that particular piece of law that Bush had in place, he said that by a certain year, and I want to say it was let's just say 2016, I don't know. But whatever year this was, you were supposed to have 90% students meeting the annual measurable objective to get to that 90%. You wanted to see growth targets moving to 90%. So this is where you started to see the focus going in on high stakes testing. You started to see different grant participations take place where you could, change the um, overall, I wanna say modality, but that's not really the word I'm looking for. You could change the management style of your school. All of these things were happening. As a direct result of that, so, so that went awry. People hated it. Most schools didn't make annual mes- measurable objectives, especially schools that were high poverty. Um, so you had schools that were on the schools in need of improvement list, they had to do certain things. It was a whole lot of paperwork and reporting that you happened. Called success, was it Su- success school? Su- yeah, it was a success school program. So you had to be a you if you were a success school the or a term for that was horrible. Or on school, you had all of these things that were happening. So that was under President Bush. President Obama comes in in two thousand nine. They get rid of No Child Left Behind, but all of this falls under the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which went way back to. Is it Lyndon Johnson? I think it was Lyndon Johnson. I'm, I may be misquoting that. But anyway, going back to all of this falls under, these are different reiterations of the ESEA. When President Obama came into 
uh, office. I believe it was the Every Student Succeeds Act, they called it or something like that. One of the things that happened was they wanted to look at schools that were on those lists that were considered failing. That meant your school did not either made no gains or made minimal gains and your students were not at least 70 to 80% proficient. There were a couple things you could do. They had something called the 10003G grant. They came from the federal government. Schools were getting additional money to go in and say, if you have a school that's failing, you need to, uh, we can do one of two things. You take away the principal and you switch the principal of that school. So you saw a lot of principal shuffling that happened as well as 60% of the staff. That's what Eugene was talking about. I worked at a school where that actually happened. We were meeting, we were making gains with the students, but not at the equivalent for the federal you know, happiness rate, let's say that. It wasn't in the increment of 20, per, 20 you know, points per year or whatever it was. So we, in order to get this money, school districts said, look, we can't let this money stay on the table. We're gonna go through and take out principals, um, replace them and have, you know, replace 60% of staff. So you had a lot of staff shuffling happening that went on with that. You had specialized programs that ended up closing or consolidating because Milwaukee Public Schools lost Lady Pitts High School that way because of this grant. It was a program for pregnant and parenting teens and it got folded into a district-wide partnership program located in different schools. So it wasn't its own separate building. So all of these things were happening. That's a direct correlation for federal policy. The OSPP came in 2015 during this time because they wanted to get the last bit of money that they could get from this particular federal grant. You had to put something in place. Wisconsin is one of the only states where there has never been any achievement district or takeover district, a recovery district, as they would call it in Louisiana, where you would take all of the districts that had failing schools and take them from the traditional schools, the, the elected school boards, and put them into a separate school district by themselves to help them go through this turnaround process. That never was able to pass in the state of Wisconsin because we have such strict local control issues. So that's why it was never able to happen. If you had something like that, like in a state like Tennessee, you just move those schools into the success district and you would be able to, to help them go through that process and meet their turnaround targets. And then they were supposed to be ushered back to their, those schools would be able to go back under the auspice of their elected school board. That didn't happen in Wisconsin. So what had to happen was the Opportunity Schools Partnership Program. The Opportunity Schools Partnership Program passed because you were able to have the county executive. Now in the, the negotiating process, I can tell you for a fact, this was offered to the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. He didn't answer. Then it was brought to the county executive. So it was gonna happen regardless with one of these two people. Mm, that's it, really interesting. It passed with the county executive. It, because the county is an extension of the state. Yes. Right. So the county, that's why. So that was one of the reasons why. So uh, cities can be sort of kind of autonomous. It's a whole different conversation. But the county is an extension of the state. So that's why it rested in the hands of the county executive. Chris Abley. At the time, it was, it was county executive Chris Abley. Chris Abley said, okay, if this is going to happen, 
I'll do it, but I want to be able to choose a person that a respected, you know, respected educator to do this. They were only going to take five schools, five schools. Now, there were more schools that qualified to be in this category. There were about 55 schools that, that could have qualified to be under this, this program. But he said, nope, we're not going to take 55. Just give me five schools and let's try to guide them through some turnaround measures. It was like World War III happened in Milwaukee. So that's when you were talking about Dr. Means, you know, being appointed in this position. He was trying to help and then everything just kind of got screwed up. So there were there was so much misinformation, number one, that was fed in that particular process that was primarily, excuse me, done and manufactured by, this, by the Milwaukee Teachers Union against this particular process, not understanding that was 2015, here we are in 2022, and you're about to have something that's far worse. So the other part of this is understanding why if we have OSPP that's on the books now, why has it never been activated? That's the question you didn't ask, Eugene. The, que the, the answer to that question is because the state superintendent of public instruction, who at the time in 2015 was our current governor, Tony Evers, was able to manipulate the algorithms and the measurement process of what constituted a school to be considered failing. So when you have no failing schools, you escape being a part of the five school takeover or recovery district that was the Opportunity Schools Partnership Program. Like I said, read the tea leaves. To date, there has been no school in the state of Wisconsin a part of the OSPP program. Hmm. So right now, fast forward to 2022, we just had an argument in the state capitol as to why the algorithms and the measurement process changed yet again, because we wanted to make sure we didn't have any failing schools after the pandemic year. When we know students didn't take all their standardized tests, when we know we had issues with, you know, you know, achievement, there were slides, there were everything else is happening. So again, you have people manipulating numbers where they can to, and they think they're helping. That's not helping, that's hurting. Mm -hmm. Which is another reason that AB 966 has teeth and that I'm certain that it will pass because now there is a, a, a you know, scope being placed on DPI as an organization, as an agency, and there will be additional statewide mandates that come to that agency for reporting and understanding as to why you change the methodology and what constitutes a district and or a school to fail. Now, when you look at failure, for me, I'm looking at proficiency rates because that's what we measure. That's the barometer in government that we look for um, as far as success or failure. Usually that's very different for parents. Parents have a more emotional tie to a school. The school may be failing on paper, but it may be great for your child because you choose a school as a parent on very different criteria than maybe a government entity would look at as right. far as funding. Right. And that's where a lot of the disconnect is. Lakeisha, let me, Steve, see, let me just throw this in, Steve. Then I, then I, I know you got stuff, Steve. 
So, so Lakeisha, is <clears throat> this more? I'm trying. Like, it's weird how it's coming to my brain. Is this political? Is this achievement? Lack of achievement? You know how I was saying being critical of NPS and hey, like, like if, if numbers are up here, maybe this wouldn't be happening. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to debate today of why the numbers are what they are. But I'm just saying, just this bottom line number: is this political? Is this achievement, or is this a combination of the two? Because in my mind, Lakeisha, and and like you have to explain this to Steve and myself and the listeners. If MPS, let's let's just say the metric was base, minimal, basic, proficient, and advanced. If MPS was proficient or advanced, would would we be talking on this Zoom right now? In, or maybe we would be, and it's just political. It's like, like you get what I'm asking you. Is it political? Is it achievement? It's or a it combination. It's a combination of, of of both of those. It's political and it's achievement based. When you look at numbers by virtue of just proficiency numbers, when we as as educators, you know, we look at things in those bands: basic, you know, minimum, basic, proficient, advanced. If I look across the state, there are gaps in every school district that exists with the number of students that are considered proficient proficient okay because i'm looking for proficient proficient to me means 70 percent. you're middle of the pack you would see average proficient you can function you got it we have to do a whole lot of work across the state to get all of our students to that point but when you look at the number of proficient students in milwaukee public schools that number is much lower and then you're dealing with a wider grasp of students yep. so that's one of the reasons that i think the, you know people zero in on mps now we can go into why that exists. It's different when you have a classroom of 45 or 50 students in a Milwaukee public schools classroom, because I've had that many, versus in a typical classroom that has 25 or 30 students if you're in Fond du Lac. That can be a difference. How many students have special needs? Milwaukee public schools has a higher number of students that have special needs um, You know, in, in the district as a whole. How does that play into classroom management? How does that play into all of those things that you can get and drill down and get into the weeds with? But when you talk about looking at it from a political standpoint, it, it you always have to have an element of politics because it's Milwaukee. Okay. And understanding the way Milwaukee is perceived by individuals who do not live in Milwaukee that serve in the state legislature, there you therein lies the issue. Milwaukee is seen as a very large problem. They talk about it as far as crime statistics are concerned. You look at it as far as, you know, um, you know, unemployment rates, all of these things. But we don't want to talk about it when it comes to how much Milwaukee as a city pays into the, the, the state's coffers, because as the largest city, we have the most people. We send the most money to the state, yet we don't get a great return on investment financially. So we are feeding the rest of the state, yet the rest of the state is looking at us as a problem. <laughs> Does that help? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that okay. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> We're with uh, Keisha Myers, Wisconsin State Representative. Great historian. I appreciate your, your history and your, your knowledge as, as you walk through, because that's what people forget. If, you're, if you have to really take that whole stretch and understand history and then understand where we're at today. So your knowledge of that's uh, incredible. 
I, I like to go on the last point you're talking about. I, I think when you're talking large urban school districts, you talk New York, LA, Chicago, Milwaukee. What I struggle with is people, people make it out almost to be separate of, of, of humans there and students learning. So it becomes that, you know, Milwaukee public schools suck. Chicago schools stink. LA, terrible. And if we're not careful, I feel it, it, it goes right into, into the people themselves because you start going, well, what do you mean by that? And it gives, it gives a lot of people this excuse for ignorance slash uh, what I call dangerous thought because you're really talking about in these districts, you're talking about students of color. Yeah. The majority. So when I say over and over, Milwaukee public schools suck. I'd say there's, there's definitely things in any of our districts that we need to work on. And I do want to see some improvements in Milwaukee public school and, and every district. But I really, I, do you see that too? I really see where it goes to the people themselves, because if you're standing on the outside and you keep saying how bad it is, are you saying eventually the students are bad, which by that I mean students of color are bad, which again means they're the problem. And I see, I, I see that going into leaking into all our conversations. Absolutely. It does. I think, you know, um, I think it was Marva Collins who talked about if you consistently say something is bad or a person is bad, a child is bad, they eventually start to believe that yep. they're bad and that nothing will good will come of that thing. Exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, biblically speaking, you know, the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. So you have to continue going through that process. That's why I personally have an issue with people, you know, talk about, oh, 53206. Like it has become this drilled narrative that the worst of the worst comes from 53206. Well, no, not really, because Al Jarreau was born in 53206. You got a lot of people that have come from 53206 and went on to, you know, be, you know, great folks. The same thing is done when you try to, um, characterize poverty in that way. And I think a lot of times, and this is something that I will always get on uh, liberals for doing as well. You can no longer just consider to continue to say, oh, poverty is the reason that, that you know, students are not achieving. Bull, because people have been impoverished since the beginning of time. And there's always been a way, education has usually been the way that you can help escape, one of the ways that you could escape poverty. And I think um, going to school is a part of that process and having, you know, a school, having educators that care, you know, we know we have them, you know, that actually go above and beyond to try to help students to move beyond their circumstance. Understanding and pouring into students, um, you know, has changed a lot of students' mindsets and has helped them to, to move beyond. And understanding that that's not everybody's situation who lives in a city and in that particular school system. There, I mean, there are reasons that people send their children to some of our schools, you know, to a lot of our schools, whether you have a child that's interested in arts, you want them to be trained by professionals who are working in the business. You get that at Milwaukee High School of the Arts. You get, you know, a lot, if you want a, a Monta, uh, uh, language immersion program, there are students that start speaking German and French in kindergarten and can keep that up through high school that, you know, and they're doing quite well because their parents wanted a, a language immersion program. Same thing with Montessori and other programs that exist in the district. So I think just, you, you are correct, Steve, when you talk about the fact that it's kind of like this, 
drilling over and over again that is terrible. Everything that, you know, the district does is, is bad and it's not. I use this as an example. If MPS is so bad, why is it that when the pandemic started, the only place you could go in a community to get free meals was an MPS school? Didn't matter what school your child attended, if you needed food and that child was in school, all they had to go, do was go to their local MPS school and pick up hot meals every day. Schools are, they act as more than just institutions of learning. We have the recreation programs that exist. All of them operate outside of, out of schools. So the schools are community hubs and you know, have many different functions outside of just academic use. And that's something that I think is ignored, especially by folks who may not you know, understand that community-wide function in a city like Milwaukee. So why do you think that message isn't there? I always think with, with certain administrators or central office, why you won't have somebody push out every single day. Here's the top 10 things that we're doing just so you know. So people, parents and others and other stakeholders can have those talking points and just push them out constantly. You know, not the commercials that say, you know, success is here. I think those are fine, uh, but very specific. You know what? Our students, here's what happened at, at five of our high schools today with student success. Here's what we're seeing when they graduate from MPS. It just pushing that out because I, people need that ammunition. So when someone says MPS stinks or this school district stinks, you know what? Here's what I know, right? Those talking points. Why do you think that doesn't happen? Or is it happening? No, I don't think it's happening. Um, I think it happens sporadically. But you need to have a person or persons that understand politics that are superintendents and deputy superintendents and people who have the ability to do that. It takes a different mindset. You would have to have a mindset of somebody who embodied um, marketing, strategic marketing. And I would market MPS like I market Sprite. Okay. That's it. So when yeah. you think about a product and product placement, you think about somebody who can think outside the box and actually push the narrative that you want to see for your product. I don't wait, think wait, wait, bad wait, things. Wait, wait, I don't wait, think wait, bad please. things when I think about Sprite. I, I agree with you. That's it. That's that's a great comparison. Wait, wait. MPS has a marketing department. They do have a marketing department. They have how strategic planning. How large is the marketing department? How are they using the marketing dollars? You can't do school like you did school in 1985 and push out the same types of products that you're pushing in 2022. That's part of the issue. We are far behind. Lakeisha, you cannot be a superintendent today and not have a political bone in your body. Yeah, it's another good point. Good point. Yes, 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 and yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Lakeisha, I'm gonna ask you this. This is my last question for you, Lakeisha. And I could feel the fire that's gonna come from you when I ask you this question. <laughs> now. And there are a lot of people who don't care one way or the other. Right. There are a lot of people who say split it up for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm a, I'm gonna go a different way with you. We all know each other from the same place, mm -hmm. okay? And one of my assignments, and I know you're gonna give me the variables, so. 
But one of my assignments was breaking down districts. Three levels, small, mid, large, right? And it was based off the Wisconsin report card. So, you know, I'm not saying it's the most valid thing ever. I'm just saying just from a, from a context, the Wisconsin report card was based on, uh, was it MAP at the time? What, what do they use now for, is it, um, what do they use for their state testing? Was uh, Wisconsin forward? Forward. Or, forward. forward. And what was it? Well, it's one of those type tests, right? So, and that's, that's what, uh, what will formulate the Wisconsin report card score. But every single time, and it didn't matter if it was people that had interest in public, private, urban, suburban, when reflecting on just scores, just raw scores, every single time, the mid-sized district, I shouldn't say every single time, majority of time, the mid-sized district outperformed the large and the small. Now, I, I know there's variables that lead into that, so I'm not blind to that. But if you're telling someone, hey, eight times out of 10, this is going to happen in this place. What would be your argument to not have your kid in this place? If that makes sense. What would be the argument of, and I'm using NPS and I'm using tiny town, right? Okay. What would, what would be your argument to say, nah, it's okay. But then these, these districts right here, these mid-size always outperform. For whatever, I mean, and 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 sure, I know there's a lot of things we mm -hmm. talked about at the beginning of the show, but if you know statistically this is gonna happen, is it harder to make a conscious decision not to send a child to where you know the numbers are gonna be higher? No, and I think you have that op you have that opportunity in Wisconsin. Again, I always say. Um, Wisconsin is like the land of choice when it comes to what educational opportunities people have for their children. Um, one of the things that we have that is unique um, is the open enrollment program. It is the largest choice program in the entire state because a parent can say, I want to go to one of those smaller districts or mid-sized district, district that I like, I like their numbers. So even though a school may be across the street or across town, as long as that, di that receiving district has room and accepts your child in, they have seats available in that grade level, you can choose to send your child to another district. Any district in the state, you can choose to send your child to. Now, when we talk about, again, going, I look at things, you have to, in my position, at a certain point from dollars and cents. Let's say my home district is Milwaukee Public Schools and I want to send my child to Brown Deer because I like whatever it was that I saw using your example. And I want to send my child to Brown Deer School District and Brown Deer has space for my child, even though I live uh, on the border of Brown Deer, but I live in Milwaukee. On the Milwaukee side. On the Milwaukee side of the street, I want to send my kid to Brown Deer. I have the ability to do that. Now, what I understand is my child has the ability to go to Brown Deer. They go to Brown Deer. The home district, which is Milwaukee Public Schools, 
pays Brown Deer an additional $7,000 for that child. So that's an arbitrary number set in statute that they get this $7,000 for taking a student that's not in their home district. When you put that in the context of breaking Milwaukee public schools, excuse me, into four to eight, remember that four to eight different school districts. I would have to go back and look and see exactly how many schools we have at each level. So you're breaking schools up into these additional districts. Now you are transferring kids who live literally across streets within the same city. And you have this additional transfer of $7,000 that happens. You have, the, you have the, um, the necessity to pay, whereas you pay now, it was about $18,000 our school board members making. It's a nine member board. Now you have 28 people from four different school districts minimum that you now have to pay and figure out what that fee will be for them. You reapportion where schools are, the actual physical buildings and who they belong to. You now have to figure out, like, so all of these additional costs that you don't yeah, have add up. up. And one thing I know about the electorate is that they will start to question and look at all of us crazy and probably try to run all of us out of office is when they get the final bill and say, what in the heck is this? Why is my millage rate going up? Because now, instead of being a part of one school district, I might actually be part of two, depending on how your land sits, where your house is situated. So all of these things are a big deal. So when it comes down to dollars and cents, and trying to get folks to understand that that's a, a, outside of the academic part of the conversation, outside of, of, of that part of the conversation, you have to look at the tax situation that, and the kerfuffle that that will start when you look at trying to do something like this. So that's why I said, it doesn't make sense. The system we have in place now, for all intents and purposes, it could be cleaned up, but it does at least make some sense when it comes to, if you wanna open enroll, you can. If you work in Mequon, you like Mequon schools, you, your you're going there every day because you're going to work. Okay, I can drop my child off at Oriole Lane Elementary and that's where they go to school. Great, they have a seat there. I know I can get them there and they go in that school district, even though you live in Milwaukee. Gotcha. Yeah. So I got one more question as we, as we round out the show. So Milwaukee Public School, largest school district in the state of Wisconsin, what's What's your change right now? You're in charge. You get to call the shots. What would you do to, right now? Your one or two things to help Milwaukee Public Schools see student success to improve it as quick as you can. What, what would you do? Great question, Steve. What wouldn't I do? <laughs> there are a couple of things that I would do immediately. I would uh, most definitely, from a professional standpoint, my face would be seen in Madison more often um, than it is. Um, understanding that my district is a part of the political landscape of the city of Milwaukee. If I were superintendent, my immediate response would be to build relationships with the folks that have direct impact on my district. So have my meetings that I need to have and, and try to build a consensus around what I'm doing well and try to continue to build on that. If you know your programs that are working exceptionally well, try to replicate those programs in more schools than you have. Um, I would focus heavily on attraction and retention of teachers, especially educators of color. I would be myself, if I were the superintendent of MPS, on a college tour 
going to HBCUs and minority serving institutions mm -hmm. to sign people up directly and have them come to Milwaukee and teach because I know I have a gap um, and, and have positions to fill. So I would be doing that. So making sure that I had a quality educator in front of all of my students or at least um, reduce the number of spots that I have open. That's the first thing. So kind of trying to build it from the inside out. Thank you for that. I like it. And I did not hear you say you will hire Steve Garner. <laughs> that would be a part of the plan. I mean, you know, Garner is an exceptional educator, so I don't know why I wouldn't hire Steve. That, that's part of the plan. That's part of the plan. That might hey, be let's down do to it. step 20, but it's part of the, <laughs> it's part of the plan. No, this is good stuff. And Lakeisha, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for like just sharing the knowledge and, and allowing us to soak it in, soak it in. So I was sitting there taking notes. I see Garner sitting there <laughs> taking notes. Like it's, 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 it's really, it's really impressive that you could like really dumb it down for us. And I don't mean it in a negative way, but just we, we have people who listen. But I think that's what is necessary for the community period. Like even to, because I tell people all the time, the American electorate has this, you know, the attention span of a net. Most people, yeah. we, we live and eat and breathe in sound bites. So all people heard was they're going to break up NPS. Yeah. Alarm bells go off and then you don't understand, well, what is the difference between this time and last time? And like you said, you know, Eugene, some people say, oh, we've been there before. It's not going to happen. Not understanding the, you know, the real you know, realness of, yes, this could happen this time. And this is why, because all of these things work in concert together. And I think that's just something that, you know, in my role, I always tell people I'm not in the classroom right now, but my classroom is the legislature. And then the constituent piece of it is trying to get folks to understand why it matters. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's, that's really awesome. Lakeisha, we always close out with like updates, highlights, anything you need to push out there to the people. Um, we're going to have you go last. Um, that way we make sure they focus on you. Dr. Gerner, you want to go first? Sure. I have exciting news. The Center for Urban Education Ministries has teacher awards just this week, kicking out the possibility of nominations. So anybody that is in the state of Wisconsin teaching in a in an urban and a city school has the opportunity to nominate themselves or nominate another teacher for a thousand dollars that they can use for themselves. So we're giving away 12 teacher awards. So you want to nominate, go to the website, www.cuemnational.org. So www.cuemnational.org. And also we have teacher assistant awards for the first time this year. So we are giving out a thousand for teachers, 500 for teacher assistants. So if you're at a city school, you're eligible. If you're in a city school in, in Wisconsin for a teacher or teacher assistant, nominate yourself or somebody else. So if you're a, a teacher, you can nominate yourself. And if you have a teacher assistant that's doing great work, you can nominate that teacher assistant. And that's $500 that that teacher assistant can use for whatever purpose they, they find um, that they want to. So they're very exciting for that. Steve, make sure you indicate Public, private, both? Yeah, whatever. any, any. Public, private, public charter, whatever. All right, so make sure we support Dr. Gurner in that space. Man, I should have went first. Like, I ain't got nothing important happening right now. Like, 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 Jesus Christ, Steve. Like, like, I, like, I want to encourage people to 
to get this information and you know nominate someone um this is this is this is just an extra blessing that that could be for recognition um in that space but also a little bit of compensation so you can't go wrong with that shoot my my little announcement is is pretty small um i'm i'm really trying to do some creative things and give an insight on what what it is like to be an educator so i i want to have the audience go to tiktok download the app go to tiktok uh, you can find me on TikTok at EP3Educates. Um, and I, I, I do so, I try to be as creative as possible. I'm not doing all the dancing and all that nonsense. But what Thank I you. am doing. Thank you for not doing that. Thank you. And the audience thanks you. I didn't interrupt you. Don't interrupt I, my greatness right now. <laughs> uh, but it, like, I, I do like pull the curtain back for educators. And like my, my, my last post was about a bad habit I developed my first year of teaching in which I was too busy to eat lunch. I felt mm. like things wouldn't work if I was to eat lunch. So during all this time now, even to today, like I very rarely eat lunch on the job. And it's a horrible habit to have. So just little stuff like that. Um, just giving y'all insights on what it takes to be a superhero educator. Lakeisha Myers, the floor is yours. Give us everything you got. Well, personally, I would say I do not have uh, any new projects happening right now. I would just try to encourage the public to always stay informed. So I would encourage folks, if you are interested in um, understanding politics, I always tell people you have to be a part of politics because it, it, it is a part of our everyday lives. It governs our everyday lives. I would encourage folks to listen to WNOV 860 radio. Uh, there's a show called Say Something Real in the mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. The host is Michelle Bryant. She, you know, is able to walk people through issues and ideas. Uh, She's similar, good, too. It, it, She She's is good. good. So she is able to uh, nominate folks and, and put them, um, not nominate people, and try to, you know, get you into the fold if you have problems or questions, understanding different parts uh, of what's going on. It touches everything from world affairs to state and local politics. I would encourage folks to listen there. If you don't live in a place where you can get WNOV radio on your radio dial, you can listen to it on the TuneIn radio app. Thank well, you. Tisha, we thank you for everything that you're doing. Like, like you're friends to us, but like we thank you for what you do in education and politically. And so like we feel it's always a treat to, to have you on the show. Um, we're going to close this show out. Lakeisha, you hang on for a minute. But this is Superhero Education Podcast. Hey, we just held class. And even if you're not from the Wisconsin area, like many of these things pop up in your space. So don't just think because you're out of state. The, the verbiage may be different, but the process is probably exactly the same. So um, you got your homework. You got the lesson. And we, we definitely appreciate it. Superhero Education Podcast. And we out. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator. 